Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, March 16th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We get the latest from Mercedes on the continuing investigation into sexual misconduct allegations within the Canadian Armed Forces. Mercedes shares the disturbing personal story of a Department of National Defence employee who witnessed misconduct firsthand, which began for her in basic training. The pandemic has far-reaching effects when it comes to personal finances in our country. We chat with a personal finance expert on the importance of looking at your life experiences and how they impact your relationship with money with a technique she calls financial therapy. Next, we speak with an Alberta-based pharmacist about the continuing vaccine rollout in our province. We find out who should be booking their vaccination with their local pharmacist and what the process is to do so. And finally, it's been a tough year for Big Brothers Big Sisters Calgary with restrictions now easing the the organization is looking to recruit more mentors. We get details on the time commitment involved and find out what it takes to be a big brother or a big sister. Time to switch gears because we've uh, connected with Mercedes Stevenson as allegations of sexual misconduct hound the Canadian forces. Mercedes talked to uh, with uh, a member of the Department of National Defense about her experiences. And she joins us now, Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning, guys. Sorry, I couldn't connect with you earlier. My apologies for being late. Well, we were talking St. Patty's Day, so we we filled the time uh, fair enough. <laughs> Happy early St. Patty's Day to you. Um, you too. Uh, tell us about uh, your interview with Alexandra Eau Claire and her background. Yeah, so Alex Eau Claire um, is a civilian who works for the Department of National Defense, but she actually used to be an infantry officer, um, and that was back in, in the late 1990s. And she was talking about the issue that she believes is not only uh, endemic with the Canadian Armed Forces, but with the whole culture around national defense. Uh, and she just told us some really shocking stories, including that in 1997, when she was at CFB Gage Town, which is in New Brunswick, um, she was forced to shower with men, as was the other woman on the course. And we're not talking about co-ed showers with a divider. Um, we're talking about forced communal showers, wow. essentially. Uh, and when we went to D&D, they told us there actually had been an investigation into um, harassment in 1997 on the infantry officers' course at Gagetown and that the allegations had been founded. But no one had ever told Alex this. Um, no one seemed to know that who was on that course, and I spoke to other individuals on it. But she sort of highlighted that as, yes, that's way back then. So, so why are we talking about it now, as awful as it is? She says because those same people are now senior officers in the military, and they're sitting across from her talking about sexual misconduct. As she said, they still have not apologized for what happened in those showers. They still have not acknowledged what happened. So she has difficulty seeing that as being sincere. And then she goes to the Department of National Defense. She got out of the military after that because when she went to a general and told him what happened, he basically said, keep your mouth shut if you want to have a career. And uh, she's having an up-and-coming career at the Department of National Defense, which you know she still is. And um, she's at a Christmas party, she says, with somebody who was then a significant superior to her, another civilian, uh, although ex-military, and that he pulled her into a corner and um, essentially sexually assaulted her, that he groped her, that he ran his tongue uh, down her neck. And when she reported this to the military police, she said their answer was to ask her if she had DNA evidence or a witness, and then to ask her if she wanted her job and to suggest that she not pursue it because it was essentially unlikely that there would be any charges and it would be 
end of her career. It's just shocking. This this culture of silence, this, you know, never quite sure if anyone's believing you or carrying it forward. And, And that must be a horrible way to go through life for so many of these women. That's really what she talked about is the erosion of trust, that the people who you're supposed to be able to trust, your bosses, um, the officers who are supposed to protect you, the people next to you. Um, and, and by no means was Alex or have any of the victims who we've talked to suggested that this is what the majority of people in the military are like. And I think that people paint it with a wide brush. That's not been the suggestion of many of the victims, but it's this idea that you're supposed to be able to trust the institution to protect you when you're willing to lay your life down for it. And these women feel not only were they not protected uh, from some of these these people, but that when they tried to report it, not only was a blind eye turned, it was more than that. It was overtly told, shut up because mm-hmm. it will ruin your career. Um, so that I think that has really had uh, an impact. And, and the forces have had for years, by the way, a problem with retaining women. And now people are starting to ask questions. Is there a connection here in how women and minorities are being treated in the forces uh, to that correlation of, of difficulty in retaining those same groups of individuals? Mercedes, it's interesting. We, we we try to catch up with you once a week. Sometimes it's twice a week, but generally not all that often. And every time we speak with you, it seems like you have a new member or a new story. Um, can this continue? Uh, you referenced, uh, I think, last week that your email box continues to get, you know, anonymous emails or, or maybe even not so anonymous the uh, people who want to share their stories. Is there more to come, in your opinion? Um, absolutely. There's no question in my mind there's more to come. Uh, there's still four to six emails minimum in my box every day, even on days we're not reporting stories. Um, wow. So it's, and, and not all of those are from women either. I hear from men who say that they witnessed it and tried to report it and that they were told not to, uh, or that they knew of somebody who this happened to, their wife, their sister, their mother, their daughter. Um, so there's, there's certainly more out there. And I think at some point, too, the question becomes, how do we fix it? Because we're telling the stories of, of what's happened that's very important to highlight the problem. But the question also becomes, how how do you fix it? Um, there's a political accountability level that we're still looking at on this, too. So I think there's a lot more to come. Remember, the government promised an independent external probe. They're saying they're going to set up an independent reporting center uh, for military sexual misconduct because the current one is not independent from the military. But we still don't really have details on what either of those things will look like so that experts can kind of take a look and say whether that's going to deal with the problem, which a lot of folks say is cultural, but also getting outside the chain of command where you're not relying on your chain of command or the military police who are a part of a chain of command to make reports on senior members in that chain of command. It's shocking, uh, and as you say, we have not heard the end of it, and we're still waiting for really any kind of proper response to come from the federal government at this point. But we'll keep checking in with you, Mercedes. Thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. 642, and financial therapy is a way to talk about your relationship with money, and it's a topic that is hugely affected by your own personal life experiences. Financial therapist and personal finance expert Erica Wasserman thinks financial therapy is especially important during this pandemic, and she's joining us to explain. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Hey, thanks so much for joining us and spending some time this morning. Let's start off with, you know, what exactly do you mean by the term financial therapy? I picture myself lying on a couch talking to my therapist. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a little bit of that and a little bit of talking to your uh, personal financial advisor. So it's, it's where those two roads meet. 
Um, when you talk to your financial advisor, you're talking about the nuts and bolts, right? I want to retire at this age with this amount of money. These are the stocks or industries that I'm interested in. But you don't really get to the emotional part of money. And the crazy thing is we all have a relationship with money, and it's generally one that's not talked about. And when you sit on the couch with your therapist, you're talking generally about relationships, um, wellness, nutrition, exercise, I don't know, right? So many other topics that come up in that session, but generally not your emotions with money. Wow. And something so financial therapy is the merge of both of these. We talk sense. money and we talk emotions. Well, something you indicate is unconscious beliefs that we hold about money, even from childhood. So can you tell us about the dominant traits that affect our relationship with money, maybe going back to childhood? Right. So we've learned from our environment um, and everybody has a different money belief or, like you said, unconscious belief. And this could be money avoidance right? Something that money is bad. And so you start sabotaging your success or you don't open your credit card bills, right? So something like that. And then you have people that are money worshipers. Money will fix everything. Those people tend to be in a lot of credit card debt. We have money status that your net worth equals your self-worth. They'll work three jobs to be able to afford to live like their neighbors. And then you have money vigilant that watch every penny and it pains them to spend money. And I'm sure you, as I went through that, you could relate to a friend in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. And then you think about, you know, in your own relationship, whether it's your marriage, whatever, you know, you can have two very differing thought processes when it comes to money, and that can turn into turmoil on its own too, can't it? Uh, take a guess. How many months <laughs> it takes for a couple to say, I love you? Uh, one. Four. Okay, the average is five. How many months do you think it is for a couple to talk about money? One. I'd say six. You're both wrong. Nine months. Oh, really? Ooh, but that's pretty quick. Getting, it's pretty quick getting into a relationship to start, you know, the battle about the, the finances, right? Uh, right. So you're, you're already head over heels in love with somebody, but it's nine months you know about their credit score, their right, spending right, right. patterns, or their student loans. And by then relationship money is the number one thing couples fight about Mm -hmm. because you're coming in with different beliefs and different experiences and until we sit down and talk about why this feels to me when you spend money on you know getting your hair done or buying a house or you know until you understand the why of that person that it's so important you're just going to fight about superficial things wow and you, that's the way to start the relationship off. And unfortunately, I'm sure that's the way a lot of, you know, uh, relationships end as well. Um, I'm wondering, Erica, do you have a, a couple more minutes for us if we take a quick commercial break? Absolutely. I'd love that. Oh, good stuff. We'll have uh, more with Erica Wasserman, financial therapist and personal finance expert. By the way, you can find her online at yourfinancialtherapist.com. I got many more questions for Erica because we haven't even brought really COVID into the mix quite yet. Mm-hmm. And that can make a tumultuous time even that much more so, I would think. 649, it's mornings with Sue and Andy, and we're digging further into the topic of uh, looking at financial therapy, an interesting concept with financial therapist and personal finance expert Erica Wasserman, who is still with us. Good uh, morning to you once again, Erica. Um, Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. I, I want to dig into this because I guess uh, if you feel like you're, you- you've kind of gone under or you're feeling overwhelmed, uh, where do we start? And I'm wondering if the start is to, to recognize what it is. 
uh, that is our unhealthy, our unproductive habits? Is that the is that where we'd start? Right. You got to start with making it real, right? So that means actually looking at your data, looking at your information, because the what if, the fictional stories are generally worse. So make it real. Find out what your needs are, your wants are, and your savings. Then you can make it right, right? So then you can change some of the habits, create some goals. COVID has made some unique opportunities because our spending patterns have changed. Mm -hmm. So we have an opportunity to maybe pay off some debt that we didn't have before because we have extra cash from not going out as much or spending on babysitting, right? And then you want to make it last. So by doing micro changes, you'll be able to make it last longer. I relate it to like nutrition, right? If you go on a strict diet, at some point you're going to gain the weight back. But if you make lifestyle changes, you're going to last longer. And the same with money habits. I'm not going to, I coach my clients not to cut things off drastically, but to change knee-jerk reactions. And that could be from, you know, the amount of times you go out to eat to potluck or finding happy hour places versus cutting out going out to eat. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great analogy. I like that. You know, you, you think about how much money we spend buying coffee, right? So you cut out one or two days a week or, you know, sort of this, that same that same philosophy then. And is, so is that, as you talk about the swan or your sleep well at night financial plan, is, is, is it doing all these little things kind of will come together at the end and uh, we'll sleep better at night knowing our finances are just in that much better shape? Yeah, so what the swan is, is finding out what your big picture goals are and then creating micro goals to get there. Exactly. So if it's cutting back coffee, great. But the interesting thing with emotions for coffee, I have a client that's married. One, the husband, for him, getting a cup of coffee on his way to work shows that he's accomplished. And for the wife, spending money on a cup of coffee, even if a friend asks to go out to coffee, is a waste of money. Mm-hmm. So their coffee budget is something they fight over. Right. That is very interesting. And like you say, turn this COVID into not being the brick wall, but the opportunity. And maybe uh, you'll come out of the other side financially more fit, if you will. You will only if you spend the time to create that goal. So when you have a goal, you obtain it faster. So during COVID, you have amazing opportunities to save money or redirect it. And maybe that's redirecting to pay off a credit card bill. So take your one with the highest interest and start paying that one off or consolidate them. Take the time to set a goal, if it's to purchase a house, what your monthly budget needs to be to obtain that goal. Great reminders, great tips. Thanks so much, Erica. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That is Erica Wasserman. She's a financial therapist and a personal finance expert. You can find her online at yourfinancialtherapist.com. 709, it's Mornings with Sue and Andy. Alberta's vaccination program has been expanded uh, to allow pharmacies to deliver COVID-19 vaccines. It started to trickle out, but now it's increasing in volume. With details on how the program is going, we're joined by pharmacist Hanif Kanji. Uh, Good morning to you, Hanif. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here with us. Well, let's break this down. And, uh, I guess you can look at two sides of it. You know, who should be going to get their vaccine at a pharmacy? And how's it going so far through your eyes as a pharmacist? For sure. So now the program is expanded as of yesterday. So anyone born in 1956, uh, specifically in that year, so 65 years and older, uh, are eligible to get their vaccine now. Um, So far, we've actually started on March 5th. Um, That's the start date. It was uh, 75 years and older. It's been going very well, I would say. Um, There's a lot of questions from the public generally 
uh, a lot of anticipation, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of just wanting to know what's going on. And there's a lot of information out there on websites, on the AHS site um, that, that people can get to. But people just want to have questions. They want to talk to someone and they want to know how it's going, as well as they want to secure that position um, and get that appointment done and get their vaccine done so they can hopefully go on with the rest of their lives. So, Hanif, can we call the pharmacies directly or do we book through still AHS or 811 and then they connect with the pharmacies? How does that work? For sure. So every entity is different. So you, you have your Rexalls, that's who I work for. You have your Shoppers Drug Marts, so your co-ops, your Safeways. Um, each one will have a different platform. So we're urging people to use our website, www.rexall.ca. Uh, the reason for that is the vaccines itself, we're really good as pharmacists in general at doing it. For example, at Rexall this year, we did 100,000 flu shots are close to in all of Alberta. Um, a lot of our stores in Calgary, um, we have five pilot stores doing uh, the COVID vaccine right now. Um, they all did upwards of two to 3,000 vaccines uh, in, that, in that short period of time for flu. So the ability to do that is there for us. Uh, the issue that we're sometimes having right now is that people are calling into the pharmacy trying to book an appointment, uh, or people are just calling for general, general questions, uh, which we love to do. That's why we're here. People want to talk to someone and we want to give that advice. Uh, but there's a lot of information and a lot of questions coming in. Uh, and our ability to get those appointments out are a little bit more difficult. So what we've done with our www.rexall.ca website uh, is you can get on a wait list. And what that does is help us triage people. So you could go on a wait list if you're 55, 65, 25. But what, uh, what we're able to do is actually filter out who's eligible for right now anyone born in 1956 or 65 years old um, and older. And we can send them a link. Um, and what that does is send them an email or a text message and then they can book their appointment to get uh, their vaccine. Uh, what that does is kind of prevent uh, some of the uncertainties in what's going on, because people are very, very excited and uh, mm-hmm. very, very, in a lot of anticipation, they're booking multiple appointments at multiple places. And that's making our job harder as pharmacists, uh, make, making the job harder for AHS as well when people don't show up for their appointment, and we expect them to come, um, and we have the vaccine ready for them, and it has a certain amount of stability, uh, and we can't give it to them. So we're scrambling to find more people, in that eligible bracket to come in within that period of time. And if I, I think, you know, very few of us have had the COVID-19 vaccine, but I think I can say with certainty, um, the large majority, if not all of us, have had a flu shot. Is the process any different uh, going in as, as, as a patient to a pharmacist to get the COVID-19 shot than it is with, with the flu shot? No, definitely. I, I would say in the way that we've done it, it's very, very similar. We, we have forms that need to be filled out, and often we have those filled out before and pre-populated. Uh, so for the patient, it's essentially coming in, um, kind of coming into the pharmacy, come and check in. Um, we have the papers ready for you. It might be a short wait. You go into the room. Um, you have to expose your shoulder, um, some deltoid muscle. So you, you want to have some kind of loose-fitting clothing so that you can get to that spot. You get the injection. Uh, you wait around for 15 minutes, make sure everything's okay, and then you're on your way. Um, so the whole process for a patient is very, very similar. The biggest difference for us um, is that appointment-based. So normally at a Rexall, you could just walk in and get your flu shot anytime, any day. Um, we love doing that. But with this vaccine, because of the stability and the things around it, we need an appointment. Um, so that's the difference for the patient right now. And if do pharmacies have a certain type of vaccine that they're using? Like, for example, are, are pharmacies giving out the AstraZeneca? And are, are people calling to ask, you know, which vaccine you have and therefore booking afterwards, deciding on, on whether they want that one or not? Yeah, I think there's been a lot in the, in the media and a lot of concern and then also a lot of interest in what kind of vaccine that is. So a lot of vaccines that we have, we just have one type. So if you're getting the influenza vaccine, you get that one type yeah. that year. 
Uh, right now, we have, um, as of now in Canada or in Alberta, I've heard of the Pfizer vaccine, which our Calgary stores are doing. Uh, we have the Moderna vaccine, which some of the rural sites are doing. Um, so in, in terms of Rexall, I know our old store is doing that. Um, I know some of the surrounding areas like Airdrie or possibly High River and some of the pharmacies there might be doing the Moderna vaccine. And then the AstraZeneca vaccine is simply right now just with AHS. So I think that goes to the point that we're getting a lot of phone calls in general, just questions, right? So that's really, really um, giving us a lot to do and a lot of answers. And we love doing that for sure. Uh, but in definitely when you want to book an appointment, using that platform on our website is definitely the best way of going about it. So, Hanif, I just want to make uh, make clear and, and get clarification for myself. Uh, you know, as you're saying, you know, right now we're in 2A. We're going to go into stage 2B coming up right away mm-hmm. here. If I'm not in any of those stages, if if I could be as late as this summer or something, I can still input my data with my age and get in the queue, so to speak, and, and you folks will reach out to me when it is my turn? Yeah, there is a possibility of doing that for sure. I, I would wait um, probably sooner. It, we're, our wait lists are getting kind of filled up, filled up obviously, right? Um, you can do that. Uh, there will be some wait. The one thing that we want for sure, though, is that you're not booking an appointment at multiple spots. Okay. Um, so you can go on a wait list at, at our stores, and we really want someone to just pull out one store specifically near their house. Um, you can go on the wait list, and when the, when the phase rolls out, you're kind of timestamped, and we can send the link out to you. Uh, via email or text, and then you can register. So the, the the point that we definitely want to take home is that when you're booking with us online, as of kind of if you do it today, it is a wait list. It's not actually an yeah, appointment. Right. Um, versus, and it doesn't, it's not any quicker if you call the pharmacy. Um, we're trying to make it equitable and fair so that it's kind of a first come, first serve in that age category. Uh, so that if you walk in, it does not mean that you're going to get an appointment versus if you call um, or if you just go on the website, it's kind of it's kind of triaged in that way. Hey, Hanif, do we have enough vaccine in Alberta right now to get to all these people, or are we sitting waiting for a next shipment? Um, I think we're constantly. It's hard for me to say specifically because I know what we get at our stores. Um, so our stores right now are being allocated 210 vaccines a week, uh, which which is a healthy quantity for us in terms of what's going on. We could probably do more, um, but like I said, there's a lot of nuances in this vaccine. Uh, that you guys have probably read about in terms of cold chain, um, in terms of stability. So I, w- I would say probably with certainty, even if we had enough vaccine today in our hand uh, as a province, it might be tough to get into the arms of people. So if I was a patient and I obviously I haven't gotten my vaccine yet either, um, I- I'm not concerned about that specifically. I'm just kind of trying to be patient and hopeful that uh, when my time comes, I-, I will get that vaccine either with AHS or all the partners in our Rexall family or any of the other pharmacies. Um, the goal right now is to get everyone vaccinated, whether it's through HS or Rexall or through any other company, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Hanif, thank you uh, for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That is Hanif Kanji, a pharmacist with Rexall. 819, it's Mornings with Sue and Andy. Thank you so much for taking time with us uh, amidst the pandemic. Big Brother and Big Sister Mentors are needed now more than ever for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Calgary. Joining us now is Jennifer Booth, Manager, Communications and Stakeholder Relations with BBBS. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning to you both. Well, let's, we'll talk about the impact the pandemic has had on, on the organization and the current need. But before we go further, when you talk about Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, tell us who makes a good mentor and uh, what sort of a commitment is it for folks out there? 
you know what? Anybody can make a great mentor. Uh, you know, we look at it as both like, do you go out for coffee, you know, once a week? Do you go and take your dog to the dog park? Those sort of things. And you could take a little with you. So mm-hmm. it's somebody that just wants to share their experiences and their expertise and their, their life with somebody else to make a big difference. And really it's only like a couple hours of a week. And we do ask that uh, people commit for a year because that's where we really start to see the changes and the impacts on the kids. Um, and just in their social and emotional competencies. And what ages are we talking about, Jen? Do you get to choose, like, if I want to be a big sister, do, can I pick from a, a really young child to a teenager, or how's that work? Yeah, there is a, a wide variety of ages, but what we really like to do is intentional matches. So it's not just kind of like the next person that's, you know, on the, the waiting list and the next person that's on the, the mentor list. We really take a look at, you know, the similarities that they have, the common experiences, um, you know, proximity within the city because obviously you know especially right now if you're walking towards your act uh, to your activity outside um you don't want to be on opposite sides of the city so there's a lot of work that goes into the matches to make sure that um the, the children and the youth are going to get the best impact out of their match jennifer over the past year big brothers big sisters i'm sure um you know not special when it comes to being impacted by the pandemic but the nature of your organization being you know such a face-to-face and in-person, such a Mm -hmm. tangible organization. Tell us how the impact has uh, really uh, struck BBBS. Yeah, we've, you know, just been able to be really nimble. So Mm -hmm. as restrictions change and, and, you know, things are open and then things are closed, we've just been in a ton of communication with our mentors and the families. Um, You know, at the very beginning, everybody moved to a virtual uh, platform where, you know, people started to kind of take them to the next level. So they started doing baking, um, you know, virtually. They would play board games. They would, uh, you know, do gaming virtually. So they really found different and innovative ways to still connect with their with their littles. Um, one of the biggest impacts has been our, a lot of our programs are in school. And because of the, the fluctuation of, of being in school and not being in school, we haven't been able to be in school in the same presence as we had before. So, um, you know, we've worked to um, pivot, essentially, and redeploy some of our employees in different ways so that those those kids and those um, those children and youth really have people to connect with during this time of need. And Jen, can you tell us about the Big Couple program? Is that new? <laughs> no, we've always had it around, um, but really some people, you know, want to do it as a couple. So, you know, a, a husband and wife or a boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever, um, they can they can mentor together. So it doesn't have to just be, um, you know, one person to a, a child and youth. A lot of the times a couple wants to do it together, say they don't have kids or their kids have left the house, that sort of thing, uh, and they just really want to make a difference. And maybe you can make a difference. You're hearing this interview and thinking you might have that time. As you say, the commitment is what you want to make it. And uh, you don't have to have something fancy planned. So we really appreciate your time this morning, Jennifer, to break it down for us. No problem. We just want to say, like, be the reason these kids, you know, have confidence in themselves and have fun every week. Good stuff. And more online at bbbscalgary.ca. That, of course, is Jennifer Booth, Manager, Communications and Stakeholder Relations, BBBS of Calgary and Area.